man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. For a definition of a Christian this week, you tell them it is this I have been crucified with Christ. In the life I live, I live because Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Do you ever think of that? I'm sorry, this, this isn't the sermon yet. <laughs> this, this is Holy Spirit talk. I have been crucified with Christ. I. That's the problem. The problem lies within us. The problem lies in that in our sin nature, we exalt and advance and and, uh, push forward the I in life. We think that the world revolves around me. We think that uh, God exists in heaven so that I can get what I want. Uh, We go along with the viewpoint of the world that you better look out for number one. It's dog eat dog out there. You've got to make sure that you get yours. See, the, the whole problem in our lives is this I person that we have. This I person that interprets everything that goes on on the basis of What's in it for me? How does it affect me? You know, in our best moments, we'll say things like, how does it affect my family? How does it affect my friends? Or we might even be noble and philosophical about it and say, how does it affect the things that I believe in and the things I like and the things I want? So you start out in that, that verse. It says, I, and you've got the problem right there. We are sinners who are so consumed by ourselves that we have no room for God. Not really. We use God's name, what? To swear with. To express some kind of casual amazement. That's the problem we have. I have been crucified. That's where we deserve to be. We deserve to be Crucified, You're saying, well, wait a minute, I'm not as bad as, as a lot of people I know. That's right, but you're not as good as you ought to be. You might say, well, I know some other people are really ranked sinners. They deserve this, this deaf thing, but I surely don't. But the fact is that when I live for self and when I'm wrapped up in myself, when I think the whole universe revolves around me, that means I've left God out. I have not acknowledged him as sovereign upon his throne. And so when I live in my sin, I have rejected God, and therefore I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. It is physical death ultimately, but it is spiritual death. It is eternal darkness separated from God who is light and life. And because we live in this world that centers around I, we deserve to die. And so if the verse said, I have been crucified, we would all have to say, amen, God is entirely just and righteous in all his ways because that's what we deserved. But the verse goes on. I, the sinner, 
have been crucified, something I could never endure, with Christ. And the whole verse changes its meaning. The whole verse becomes centered upon who Jesus Christ is, that he has died in our place for our sins, that when he went to the cross, he took our sins upon himself and the death that we deserve, he died in our place, God absorbing his own wrath upon his son. And so he took the wrath and the condemnation that we deserve, and he alone praying, you know, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what we deserve. But he took that upon himself, and the Father took that into his Son. And so Christ was crucified for us. The wages of our sin is death, but Jesus died for us. And so the gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life by faith in him. And so to say, I have died with Christ is no mere, um, you know, just nice thought to cross-stitch and hang over the door of your kitchen or something. This, I have been crucified with Christ, is at the very heart of the gospel. It's at the very heart of our life in him. And so we are called first to salvation to come to the cross where Christ died for us. And then our old sin nature, that I-centered being that we are is put to death in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The life I live, I live by faith in him. You see the sweep? Yeah, I mean, you thought it was just nice music. But you see the sweep of God's plan for us to take us from our sins and by the way of the cross to make us alive in Jesus. That's what it's all about. Now, that gets to be a problem sometimes. That gets to be a problem because we live in a world that really cares nothing about the things of God. In fact, the, the, the prince of this world, the, the, the prince of the air, um, he uh, really is, is, is anti-God. He's not anti-religion. Make no mistake about that. The, the devil is not against religion. He's not against religious people being proud of their own religiosity. He doesn't really mind if people want to light candles, ring bells, and, and spin prayer wheels. He, he doesn't really mind if you want to chant your mantra. He doesn't really mind if you want to come to church every Sunday with your Bible in a nice leather uh, Bible case that you got for Christmas and come and sit in the pews and nod your head at the right moment and even maybe say an amen. Not too loud, but, but every now and then say an amen and then go home and life as usual. He doesn't mind if you have religion. But the devil doesn't want you to have Jesus. And so we live in a world that is not going to encourage you, is not going to applaud you when you live for Christ. And what will happen is that as you come to the cross, you accept Christ, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, and you go through the world, you'll keep running into challenges and running into tests of your faith. You'll you'll keep running into moments where you're going to have to decide, look, am I living in Christ or am I going back to the old way? Am I going to live for Jesus or am I just going to retreat back into what I've always done back beforehand? Am I really going to live out and live through the meaning of this Jesus on the cross thing in my life? And that's why Paul went on to say, he says, the life I live, I live by faith in Christ. 
It's Christ who lives in me. It's got, it's got to be Christ working through me. So, so that's, that's the ongoing uh, thing and, and, and nature about being a Christian. We come to the cross, receive Christ, put to death in our, in, in our sin, made alive in Jesus Christ. Now we have to live in Christ. And you'll keep running into those challenges, and problems, and tests. For example, let's say your name was Fleeman, for example. And uh, you've come to Christ, and you've been saved, and, and uh, your household has been saved. You've got a church meeting in, in your home, and, and uh, you're, you're respected, and you're known to be a guy who, who really supports the work of the church and those kinds of things. And like everybody else you know, you own slaves in your household. There's no way to get, get by in life without slaves. Everybody knows that. Society knows that. The world knows that. The government knows that. All the religions around you know that. And so you've got slaves in your household. You don't see any conflict there. You've received Jesus. Let your slaves receive Jesus. That's fine. We'll all worship together. And then I'll tell you what to do Monday through Saturday. There's a guy named Philemon, and you've got slaves, and everything's fine. The world tells you it's fine. Your government, your society tells you it's fine. But one day, a runaway slave named Onesimus comes back to you. And he stands in front of you and hands you a little letter from, from Paul, and you take that letter and you start to read it, and suddenly you realize that this being crucified with Christ's thing can't be put on a back burner. And you can't just leave it out of your thinking any longer. Suddenly you realize that all the explanations you've ever given as why it's okay to own slaves have just been shattered. The gears and the mechanisms of slavery have just ground to a halt because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus throws a monkey wrench into that machinery of slavery. It just won't work anymore. And you've got to do something else. And if your name is Philemon, at that moment you are faced with the question, am I going to follow through on this relationship with Christ or am I just going to go back to the same old, same old? That's been the challenge of Philemon. That's been the challenge. It's the same challenge we face. You know, it comes to us in different ways. Sometimes the world comes to us and says, you know, uh, this, this uh, Christ thing, that's really fine. That's really terrific. Uh, glad that it works for you. Glad that you feel better and your family's working better and all that. But, you know, let's not go overboard. After all, everybody knows you need nice things. Whatever car you're driving, you really should have a nicer one than that. You really should. Whatever the size of your savings account, it really should be a bit bigger. The house, it should be a bit larger. Your entertainment, your vacations, your hobbies, your recreation, all that should be just expanded a little bit more. The world says that. The government says that. Society says that. And you know, no one in the world blames us when we walk around saying, I've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless, I live in him by faith in Jesus. I'm living... And all the while, we're chasing stuff in our lives. All the while, we're, we're acting out the way the world says it's okay to act out because, you know, sometimes you just got to keep a grudge or else somebody will take advantage of you. Bitterness, we understand because, after all, they really are bad people out there. Cussing and swearing, well, everybody does that, don't they? Drugs? There's not a person in the world who hasn't done drugs. Folks, I'm 
here to tell you that's a lie. You hear it all the time, but it's a lie. But that's what the world says. Alcohol, you've got to have a little bit. After all, it's a special occasion. See, in the world, in society, your government, the people around you will all tell you it's okay to be just like the world. Let's not take this Jesus thing too seriously. And then one day the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see in front of you your own personal Onesimus. You see in front of you that challenge where God finally gets through and he says, you know, these things you've been doing, they really don't line up with my word. They really are not in accord with the scriptures. They really don't comport with the commandments that I put into your life. And even worse, all these things that you've had in your life that you think are so important that you are using as reasons and justifications to explain to God why you're not going to do what he's told you to do, all those reasons, they don't look a thing like Jesus Christ. And your own personal Onesimus standing right in front of you. And Jesus is standing right next to him. And then you've got a choice to make. You've got to choose. Am I going where the world wants me to go? Everybody will say it's okay. Nobody will blame me. Or do I go with Jesus? And even though he has to bear the cross alone, I'll bear it with him. And I'll walk in his footsteps. See how it comes down to that? It comes down to what will you do with Jesus? And what's, what's going to happen? Now, been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Here's what it means when Jesus confronts you that way. Now, we come to the end of the letter to Philemon. And uh, you thought I'd forgotten about this. But we come to the end of the letter of Philemon. And, and at first, it just looks like Paul's saying, a bunch of guys say, hey. All the gang says, hey. That, that's what it looks like. But let's, let's read it. Start at verse 23. It says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, and Luke, my fellow workers. Just a bunch of guys hanging out. Paul says they all say hi. Now, on one, one, one level, it's sort of like Paul saying, Philemon, you know, you're not the only one going through this. You know, there's a bunch of other people going through the same thing because that's just the way life is. That's, that's what it means to live in a fallen universe. That's what it means to live for Christ in a world that crucified him. And here are a bunch of guys who've experienced the same thing you're, you're experiencing, Philemon, Epaphras, and, and Aristarchus, and Demas, and Luke, and Mark. They've all hung in there, and they've all been faithful. So, so uh, Philemon, understand, this, this can be done. So, so get that sort of straight in your mind. I mean, this is like a list of all-stars uh, in, in the Scripture. We, we don't pick that up some from this passage, but if we were to turn to Colossians chapter 4, and the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon were written at the same time, delivered at the same time by the same carrier, and uh, uh, here in Colossians, Paul mentions the same people to greet the church at Colossae that he had said are greeting Philemon. So we learn more about them. This is in Colossians 4.10. says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus, who's willing to be confined and under arrest with me. 
who had the opportunity at some point to say, you know, this Paul, he's a little bit radical, and while I agree with most of what he said, he stepped across the line. Hey, don't come after me. Take Paul. But don't come after me. I'm one of the reasonable Christians. No, Aristarchus said, you know, you, you take Paul, you're taking me too. Because the Jesus he believes in is the Jesus I believe in. And, and the God he adores and worships is the God I adore and worship. And so you take Paul, you're taking me as well. So Aristarchus goes into confinement with Paul. And so Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Oh, you know the story of Mark. You know how Mark was, was uh, mentored by Barnabas. And uh, he was taken on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And, and Mark got uh, into the journey. And after a while, he said, you know, this, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I didn't know they were actually going to do work on this thing. And so uh, Mark sort of bowed out and went back home. Well, the next time Paul and Barnabas got ready to go on a journey, uh, Barnabas said, let's take Mark. And, and Paul said, no, no, he, he deserted us the last time. And it was Barnabas who had that attitude of the redeeming mentor who, who said, no, I, I, I see something in Mark. It, it, let's not give up on the kid. I, I think there's something he can yet do. Barnabas took Mark. Paul took Silas. They, they agreed to go their separate ways. And because of the encouragement of Barnabas, Mark then grew in the ministry and grew in the ministry to the point where now he's with Paul again. And now he's ministering with Paul again. And Paul is unashamed to say, look, Mark... He's been through the trial. He's been through the mill. And, and Mark now, he sends his greetings. He's been through it. Oh, how God can redeem a life. You know, you may have stumbled and you may have, you know, just sort of taken a couple of steps backward in the Christian journey. And the devil comes along and says, you know, God might as well give up on you. You'll never amount to anything. You just remember Mark who took a bunch of steps back and the grace of God brought him a bunch of steps forward and he kept going. And Mark then becomes the one through whom we have the gospel of Mark recorded for us. You get to be an author of the New Testament scriptures. As Mark, who came to the point where he had turned back. But when Barnabas came and said, let's try it again, Mark said, I'll try it again. I'm going to do this till I get it right. And he kept going. There's Mark. He sends his greetings. By the way, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes, welcome him. This is verse 11 of Colossians 4. And Jesus, which is another way of writing out the name Yeshua or Joshua, who's also called Justice. These, these men greet you. So Aristarchus, Mark, guy named Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, that is, of, among the Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom. They have been a comfort to me. And then Paul says, this is uh, Colossians 4.12. He says, Epaphras. Remember that name? Epaphras, who is one of you. Epaphras that you, you know, you, you saw him grow up. Epaphras that, that you saw come to the faith. Epaphras that you've seen grow in the faith and grow in the faith. This Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. This Epaphras is praying for you and praying for you. This Epaphras is your prayer warrior on your behalf. Paul says, Philemon, I'm sending you this guy, Onesimus, and your world is going to be rocked by it. But understand Epaphras is praying for you. 
And that's just one way to remind you that the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you with groanings too deep for words. And that Jesus, the Son of God, is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Epaphras, you don't have to do this on your own strength. You've got the power of prayer behind you. This Epaphras is praying for you. What else? Verse 13, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. And then Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician. Luke, the beloved physician. Luke uh, joined Paul at the city of Troas and never left his side. Luke joined Paul and, and from then on was a constant companion with Paul. I wonder how often Paul was glad he had a doctor on call. I mean, when you get stoned and left for dead, you might need a doctor. When you spend days out at sea after being shipwrecked, you might need a doctor. When you've been uh, in famine and hungry, you might need a doctor. When you've been set upon by highwaymen and robbers, you might need a doctor. So I'm thinking Paul's really grateful for, for Luke at this point. But Luke and Paul working together, working together. And Paul calls him the beloved physician, the doctor that we all love. This Luke, by the way, the Luke who is author of more of the New Testament than any other writer. More of the New Testament written by Luke than any other person under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he says, this Luke, beloved and reliable, he greets you. Then Paul says, as does Demas, period. Mm, Wish we had more on that. Back in Philemon, all he said was Demas, just listed the name. Here he lists the name, Demas too, he greets you as well. That's almost everything we know about Demas. Because we know one more thing about him. And folks, it'll break your heart. You see, now understand Demas, at this point, Demas is is rolling in good company. He's rolling with Epaphras and Mark and, and Aristarchus and... He's rolling with Luke. He's rolling with Paul. I mean, this Demas is, you know, playing with the all-stars. I mean, he, he's really at the height of what it, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, he, he's really at the pinnacle of all these things. Talk about a man who's really got his life in Christ made and set. Now, he's rolling with a great crowd, the all-star apostles. But some years later, a few years later, Paul writes a, um, a letter to Timothy. And as he comes to the close of it, Paul again is, is giving these, these instructions about what to do and who to greet and that kind of thing. And, and we come to 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10. 2 Timothy 4, 9. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Paul says, Timothy, I know you're, you're busy. You've, you've got a, a real heavy work of supervision of churches in the, in the area and those kinds of things. He said, but Timothy, I, I need you. You've got to come to me soon. Why? For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas. Demas, who was one of the guys... Demas, who was on the inside track. Demas, who was rolling with the all-stars. Paul says he's fallen in love with the world. That's sort of the, um, the meaning of the um, aorist participle there. 
But this Demas, he's fallen in love with the world. And because of that, he's left me in the lurch. We don't know what that means, really. Uh, you can imagine all kinds of things. All, all the way from, well, Demas, uh, uh, you know, met a woman and, and had to have her and, you know, those kinds of things. Or, or this Demas, he might have fallen in love with the things of the world, the entertainment and the theater and, and, and you know, those sorts of things. Or this Demas in love with the things of the world might, might have decided that he really liked the, 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 the uh, banquets that you had in the pagan temples. I mean, it could be something really bad like that. Or it could be just something as simple as this. Demas fell in love with the things of the world. And the world came along and said, Demas, you're such a great preacher. We'd love to have you at our church. While you come to our church and, and we'll take care of you. We pay more money, we're larger, we're more status-filled. While your name will be on the program, you'll be asked to do conferences. Before you know it, you'll be able to write a book, and just because your name is on it, it'll be a bestseller. Demas, why did you cash in on this? Could have been that. Could have been just something as silly as Demas didn't like going to bed at night not knowing what the Romans were going to do to him the next day. It could be that when Jesus said things like, you know, the Son of Man really doesn't have any place to lay his head. Demas said, I need more security than that. I've got to know where I'm going to sleep. I've got to know what's happening. I I can't put up with that no place to lay your head thing, Jesus. It could be that when Jesus said, you know, why don't you let the dead bury the dead? In other words, you you let your family go and you come follow me. And Demas said, no, I've got to to take care of the folks. I've got to be involved with with the family. And you know, my kids, they need to be in soccer and and palms and they've got to be in sports and they've got to have football. And you know, nothing would please me more, Jesus, than if my kids get on the traveling team. You know, traveling teams always travel and play when? Sundays. Why? Because nobody does anything on Sundays. He might have just said, Jesus, I, you know, I, I know you're, you're saying let the dead bury the dead, but, which means let people take care of themselves. They'll get along without you. But, but Jesus, I just feel like I need to be a part of certain social circles, and I need to be a part of certain networking things. And, and in my place of business, you don't understand, Jesus, you've got to play the politics or you don't get ahead. And and Jesus, I'm, I'm, I've just got to go along with the world in that case. And so I, I understand for you, Jesus, that's fine. Let dead bury the dead. But for me, Jesus, I've, I've got to go back and pick up some of the things from the world that, that are still important to me. And Demas, having loved the world, deserted Paul and the gospel. It may be that when Jesus said no one can plow a straight furrow without looking, while they're looking back. By the way, that's the way it was done back then. Some of you remember Alvin Fowler. He came up to me once after I'd preached on this, and he said, you know, when you're driving a tractor, you look back all the time. I just took Alvin's word for it. But you know, if you're following the horse, you play a straight furrow. So Jesus said, no one putting their hand to the plow and looking back is worthy of the kingdom. And Demas said, but Jesus, you don't understand the things that are back there. There were fun things back there. There was my entertainment back there. There, was, there. there were good times back there. 
You don't understand, Jesus. Back, back then, was, those are good memories for me. So, Jesus, you go ahead and plow the straight furrow, but, you know, I, I just like looking back every now and then. Demas, having loved the world, deserted Paul and the gospel. That's kind of a sad story. Isn't it? Doesn't it just break your heart? But it says something about how easy it is to roll with the all-stars and never have roots sunk down into Christ. There was somebody else who did that in the New Testament. His name was Judas Iscariot. He rolled with the all-stars. He looked like the other disciples. He did what they did. He went out on the journeys they went out on. But when push came to shove, he did not have a personal relationship with Christ. And he backed out. Now, we don't know about demons. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say we can judge his salvation or not, but what I'm going to tell you this. He deserted Paul. And he backed out of the life. And when he was given the opportunity to choose between Jesus and the things of the world, the world had more appeal to him than did Christ. That's why the Christian life is about being crucified with Christ. That's why the Christian life is a matter of of having the old self and the old sin nature put to death in Christ. That's why being a Christian is all about a passion for Jesus, just loving him and adoring him, that you can't get enough of him. And if all the world wants to go to to an amusement park and Jesus wants to go down into the slums and to work amongst the people there, you'd rather be with Jesus in the slums than with Mickey in the amusement park. It's loving Jesus that much. Demas, having loved this world, has left me. Now, when, when Paul writes to Philemon, that hasn't happened yet. All outward appearances, Damas is doing everything right. But there's something that just wasn't quite right. I think Jesus might have, might have explained it this way. He might have said, you know, a sower went out to sow the seed. And he explains that. He says, the seed is the word of God. This is in Luke 8, if you're looking for it. He says, the seed is the word of God. This this is what is being proclaimed, the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is why we preach Jesus and him crucified. This is why we preach to all. The seed is just scattered everywhere. This farmer's a little bit loopy because he puts seed where, where, uh, where there's a path and he puts it on rocks and he puts it in thorn bushes and he puts it on good soil. He just scatters it everywhere because he knows that some seed will grow somewhere. But he just scatters it all. And that's why we proclaim Jesus, him crucified. There is no other seed other than the word of God. But Jesus said, you know, that seed was scattered and as he scattered it, some fell on the path. Path was just sort of beaten down and it was wide open space. And, and the heat of the sun came, dried it out, and you know that the birds came and they ate the seed. Jesus said, you know, that seed is like the person who just never hears. That's like the person that the, the gospel just bounces off them, just never penetrates, it never gets in. Oh, beloved, I pray that if all your life you've been that kind of soil, that this morning the gospel would penetrate into your heart. You may have heard the gospel message a thousand times, 
and you may have rejected it a thousand times. Here, 1,001, Christ died for you. Put your faith in him. He will save you from your sins and give you new life in Christ. That's 1,001. Let it come home today. Let it penetrate today. But Jesus said some of that seed falls on the, on the, on the path, and it just, it just can't get, get started even. He said then, then some of the seed was, was thrown, and it, it fell on, the, on, on some rocks. And uh, these rocks have a little bit of dirt on them, and so the seed just sort of sprang up a little bit. But as soon as it did, it, 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 it withered because of the sun. And Jesus said, these, these are folks who hear the gospel, and they respond with joy. It's just a, such a wonderful, marvelous thing. But the moment testing comes, and the moment that persecution comes, they turn back because they have no root. And there's a lot of folks who've embraced religion, but they don't love Jesus. There's a lot of folks who who really like the Christian religion, but they don't know Christ. See, this is the danger of, of preaching a health and wealth gospel no. that says, here's why Jesus came. He came to make you healthy, wealthy. Jesus came so that you wouldn't have any problems. Jesus came so that as long as you believe in him, you would never, ever have any defeats in your life, no problems, no persecution, no, no trouble you'd ever have. The danger with that gospel is people think they're accepting Jesus when what they're really doing is trying to manipulate God. And when the testing does come, and I assure you it will come, and when the testing comes... There's no root, there's no depth, and they wither. But then there was a third kind of soil. This third soil, uh, Jesus said it it, this way, some uh, some seed fell among uh, thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And he explained it this way. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. They are choked by all the things you and I think we need and think that God owes us. They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Demas, having loved this world, has deserted me. See, you're going to think that you need the latest and the greatest. You're going to think that, you, that, that you, you've got to be participating in the, in, in, in the entertainment uh, that the world offers. And you're going to justify it because you'll look around. You know, you'll get to the movie theater. You'll look around. You'll see other Christians. People you know are Christians. You'll see them there too. The world isn't going to condemn you. Society won't. Our government won't. But Jesus said, as these on the thorns, amongst the thorns, they did grow, but they grew with the thorns right next to them. And that's what choked them out. That's what choked them out. Praise God, some of the seed fell on good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And Jesus said about them, that uh, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, with patience. I think we're really looking at soil number three right here. We're looking at a life that, that knows Christ and it begins to grow, 
but it grows in tandem with the world. It doesn't think it's so bad as if, I, if as I'm growing, the world is just sort of wrapping a vine, if I can mix plant metaphors, around us. And it doesn't concern us at all. That world is choking the life out of us. So one day, Philemon, who had been growing with the world next to him, he didn't think about it because nobody ever brought it up to him, I guess. But, you know, it's just perfectly normal, the slavery thing, because the world says it's okay. The world says it's fine. And Paul writes him a letter and says, the world thinks it's fine, but Jesus doesn't. Now you've got a choice. And beloved, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open up your heart and your mind to realize how many things in your life are there because the world says they're okay. And this morning, Jesus says they're not okay. And now you've got that, that moment of crisis. Now you've got to make the same decision Philemon had to make. You've got to make that decision of, do I love Jesus more or do I love the world more? Do I love who Christ is or would I prefer to have what the world says I should be? And that's the decision we make as we go along in life. And that's why, if you want to know what a Christian is, it's someone who can say, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the life I live. Christ lives in me. That's the difference. It's, it's a pretty... Um, let, let me just give you this last... John, the Apostle John, in his first letter, 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You can't read the name Demas without sadness. You can't read the name Demas without a sense of warning. You can't read the name of Demas without being put into the question. Am I going to love Christ or am I going to love the world? Because the two don't go together at all. So the letter to Philemon, in many ways, just a purifying letter. Letter to Philemon, a, a, a letter that just sort of washes over Philemon's life to drive out and to cleanse him from the darkness of the world in him. And that's what Jesus will do for you. I just pray that this week the Holy Spirit will remind you, just tap you on the shoulder constantly. Say, look, this is what I'm talking about. It's, it's Jesus or the world. Beloved, live in Christ. Choose Jesus. Let's pray together.
Father, we do look at how often we stumble and how often we come short of your plan for us. We look at how often we have um, sought to do the right thing and yet our strength has failed us. We look at how far distant we are from the goal of being like Jesus. And then we're overwhelmed again with your grace that is able to cleanse us as we come to you in confession and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, we know we're not able. We know we're insufficient for these things. But we know your Holy Spirit can accomplish whatever you desire in our lives. Make us open, receptive, and obedient.